0: Hey, everyone. This is That Guy in Hutch, Jason Probst, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch. Today I have... uh, Actually, I should say that I'm not That Guy in Hutch today. I'm That Guy from Hutch who's in Topeka today (laughs) uh, because I'm up here for the 2022 legislative session. And uh, the person I wanted to bring in first for this podcast is the minority leader, Tom Sawyer, who has been in the legislature for quite a while, and I always enjoy sitting down and listening to uh, some of the stories he tells about over time. So, Tom, thanks for sitting in with me today. Well, thank you for having me. So, when did you first come into the legislature? Or explain a little bit about your early days of your political career. Okay, well, I'll tell you what's interesting is, uh, before I was in the legislature, you know, it's interesting, I, I,
1: I, I was a student at Wichita State studying accounting, uh, that was my major. And while I was at my freshman year at WSU, um, this guy, Dan Glicklin, was running for, he was a young school board member deciding to run for Congress, taking on this 18-year incumbent who was considered unbeatable. And so I had some appeals. I I got involved in his political race, trying to start helping on his campaign. And he won. He knocked off Garner Shriver It was Dan Glitman. Uh-huh. The first time he ran, and then, of course he went
0: on to serve for a number of years. A long time. He yeah. served a
1: long time. Yeah, he served eighteen years himself. Yeah, well, he became the entrenched incumbent that eventually lost. <laughs> but but it was interesting. But, it, but but it got me interested in politics. Um, so that's how I kind of got my interest to.
0: And
1: and, and I had some interest. You know, I what well, really my first interest came much younger. I when I was just uh, ten years old. You know, I was. Martin Luther King Jr., um, Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really follow those guys, the civil rights movement. That was pretty important to me as a kid. And I remember what, you know, they were both assassinated pretty close, uh, uh, Martin Luther King in April and Bobby Kennedy in June of 68. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that had a big impact on me. So, that, so I had that, but still, like I said, I was majoring in accounting because I was good in math. You know, uh, in fact, I'm going to go way back. Um, <laughs> when I was three years old, my mom used to send me to the store because I, I knew the value of money. I could understand money, could do change, mm-hmm. do, you know. And when she, she, my mom didn't drive, and she needed milk or bread or a few things. She just sent me send off, so I would off. walk. I'd walk off to the store, get that stuff. Uh,
0: three-year-old kid. And um, you knew how to make, I mean, you knew how to make change, I you make knew how change. much things were gonna count, yep. cost, and oh, yeah. everything. I understood all
1: that, so. Yeah. I mean, it's a young age, so you can see with accounting, you know, uh, why that kind of background. And uh, so, so it's always had that, that, that kind of interest. But um, and then I started actually I'm getting way off track, but I started buying a store when I was five.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I uh, started selling uh, my leftover can what I would do not uh, my leftover cake I would actually I, I didn't really care that much for sweets as a kid. Uh-huh. We, we didn't really have us I didn't So on Halloween, I would map out do as many houses as I could. I would you know, do be this big stretch I used a pillowcase case instead of uh, the pi- paper like a little sacks. bag yeah yeah because I could hold more and have. And so I would get as much candy as I could, and then when I got the, I would sell it. And I didn't either. it. But I sold it
0: and <laughs> so you go trick or treating, you get as much candy, and you knew where the good houses were. Oh went. yeah, oh, so definitely. you got the good candy, and oh, then definitely. after Halloween, mapped
1: sell it out, sell it out. And then I also I would go to the store, and I'd get like a big bag bag of cinnamon balls. I out how many I get in the bag, mm-hmm. and the, sort of like a penny a piece, how much I'd make. And you know, I did that. And then my dad used to like read books. And when he got done reading books, he said, oh, Dad, I'll sell you books. So I started selling my dad's books, and I would give him part of it. Now, there was a great story he used to tell when I was five. There was one time I sold a bunch of his books, so he was excited. He saw this kid walking out with these books, and, he, and so Dad, Dad comes up to me and goes, what's my share for the books? And I'm like, well, Dad, he gave me, I can't remember what it was, a $10 bill or $20 or something, and I had to give him change. And unfortunately, the change had, was your share? I, mean, I, just, I swindled my dad at five years old. I don't know, but my dad thought it was so cute. He didn't, you know,
0: he didn't get too upset. He didn't get about upset,
1: it. and he back to tell that story for years for other people. So, um,
0: well, well, before we get back on your political career, I think yeah. talking about this is a, a good opportunity to take a little bit of a, a detour, yeah. um, because when it comes to numbers, when it comes to, I mean, you kind of have a reputation up here of remembering and knowing these details about. The history of tax policy, yeah. the history of budgets—that very few people can recall—and yeah. you're kind of the de facto expert in the building when it comes to uh, what we've done before and when we do things now, uh, how how that's going to affect the budget, or, or talk about that a little bit. It's just okay. part of that natural extension of you. It is
1: of, Like I said, as a kid, you know, being you know being able to make change as a three-year-old and and. You know, starting my own store and selling things and stuff. I just always had a natural. I know numbers really well and yeah. remember that stuff very well. So it was just natural. Then I studied. It. Yeah, and in school I was great in math. I would go. You know, took all the hardest math classes. And um,
0: so you were on, on track the- for a career in finance or accounting right. or something. And and you have this ten-year-old memory of, of, of Martin Luther King being assassinated, and Bobby Kennedy being assassinated. You get involved in a political campaign and and something. Kind yeah. of flips, and you decide politics is where I want to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, the politics started. to I mean, I you know, I I was a student. What should I say? Still studying, and I I end
0: up getting my degree
1: in accounting, so it's not like I changed that totally. But all of a sudden, I'm spending a lot of time on politics, mm-hmm. uh, helping on these campaigns. And uh, I don't. Do you know? Do you know? Did you, know you know Pat Layman? I mean, she's still around, I guess. But oh, I, I know the name. Yeah, yeah. She was a big labor leader you know, in Kansas, and it's funny. I was not Yeah, so I was 18. And I worked on Dan's campaign, and somebody was like you should be run for precinct committee man. So I said, so okay, yeah. You know, so so I do it. I file, and not knowing at all who were, who the current precinct committee man when were in my precinct, or, you know, I just do it. And I, I, and I campaigned for it. I went door to door. I'm campaigning. Well, the, the pe- precinct committee people in that district were Pat Lehman and her husband Leroy Lehman. Okay. And I knocked on Pat's door. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, you know, now again, I was eighteen. I was just knocking on all the Democrat doors. Democrat doors. I didn't pay attention. So, uh, she starts asking me a lot of questions and uh, asked about, you know, uh, she, but she was impressed that it's eighteen-year-old kids at her door campaigning, and she kept asking more more questions, and and then she introduced herself. You know, she's kind of like, well, you know, I'm Pat Lehman. I'm the current precinct committee woman, and you're running against my husband, Leroy, and I'm kind of like and. If everybody knows you know Pat this could have gone you know this could have gone so different that I might have never done anything in politics again yeah because Pat is known as a very tough woman and is really you know she goes after people right so instead though she was so impressed that this young person was so interested in politics that she the next thing she yells at Leroy says Leroy you're not gonna be a precinct committee man anymore <laughs> I mean she's like she had decided okay this is great. You, you, I'm going to support you, and, we, and, and it was the beginning of a very long uh, lifetime friendship with Pat and Leroy. Uh, uh, Leroy and I did doing a lot of things together in politics, but uh, and he just died recently. So. Uh, but um,
0: so she kind of pulled you in. Yeah, I mean, it's, she saw. She something became a good mentor for
1: me after that. And yeah, it got me really Then got me involved with politics, and because she knew everybody and everything, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, but ended up being a really good thing for me. But that could have gone way the other way. <laughs> I mean, maybe, anybody that knows Pat knows that could have gone way the other way. Yeah. Um, but but so that was a lot of my, my start in politics, and then I was a student at WSU, and um, in 1970, yeah, a couple of years. So that was would have been the '76 elections, '77. Uh, I got a little bit involved in the city elections for city council races. '78. Uh, got involved John Carlin ran for governor
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, got involved in his campaign um, and while I was working on some of these campaigns there was a woman I met named Nancy Orpesa um, and she's like well you know you ought to get a job that pays money uh, from politics right because I have to volunteer all the time because she knew the county clerk
0: mm-hmm.
1: so after the 78 elections, I mean literally like the next day, Wednesday, you know, elections are Tuesday, i like on Wednesday, she's like, she gets me an interview with the county clerk. So I get hired in the county clerk's office. So I started to go to work in the courthouse. And um, I, I started off as an office assistant going to working part-time and going to school full-time. Well, then mm-hmm. I became administrative assistant in the office and the chief deputy, and it switched around. I was working full-time and started going to school part-time after that. Uh, so, so as I got involved in the courthouse, um, gotten more involved in politics, and that's where a lot of my interest in the legislature first came because I didn't really know a thing about the legislature uh, up to that point. Yeah. And uh, well, you I, have
0: you have a line you've said before about what you really thought about the legislature. I know, and that's what like, I'm getting to. That <laughs> it, it's, it gets, when I was in the
1: clerk's office. Okay, so uh, it, it eventually became county clerk. So 1984, I became Sedgwick County Clerk, and our treasurer was a woman named uh, Jerry Threffel, uh, who, who was a Republican. I was a Democrat, but we. Wanted to change the way. And it wasn't just us. It was the Clerks Association, Treasurer's Association. At that time, when you paid your taxes on your car, you did it at the same time as your house. So you paid them half in December and half in
0: like May. Okay. Right? But your house taxes and your car taxes were due at the same time. Due at the same time. Okay.
1: They had nothing to do with when you got your tag. You still got your tag like in October if you're an S or, you know, whatever month. Yeah. But when you got your tag, you just paid your registration fees, you know, all the other fees, you didn't pay the property tax. You paid the property tax in December and May. Okay. Okay. Well, we wanted to change that so that you paid the property tax when you got your tag. You did it all at once. Yeah. And so we had a bill to do that. It's called the tax and tag bill. It's House Bill 2605. I still remember that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so we go to Topeka. The two of us go up there together to help lobby for this bill. And there are other clerks and treasurers around the state. So this is my first experience with the legislature. So we're in the tax committee, sitting there for the hearing, and I'm noticing, one, that a lot of the members aren't even paying attention. Uh-huh. Two, they had no idea, what, a lot of them had no idea what we did or how it, the process worked or what the, what we were really asking for. I mean, they were asking the stupidest questions. I mean, I'm, I'm going, oh my gosh, these are the ones that are gonna decide this? They don't yeah. even understand this. They don't understand our process and stuff. So I'm like, oh my. So my. You know, we're driving back, and I'm like, "Man, these are a bunch of imbeciles up there." I mean, I really, I thought, <laughs> "Man," I, I, so I thought, "Okay, we need to get good people in Topeka." I was just, you know, I just, um, so yeah. So my first experience with legislature—I mean, that was my motivation. Um, we need, like we need to improve this body. Yeah. Now, uh, now, what I did realize, wait a citizen legislature. These are pretty complicated. I didn't really look at it from their standpoint, but still. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my... So that was my... But you have
0: to deal with this every day on a daily basis. As right. It's part of your work. Right. And you're the one bearing the brunt right. of the public coming right. in probably upset that they have to pay this alongside their property taxes for their houses. Right. Which nobody is happy that that's right, right before Christmas. Right. You know? Right. Um, and, and so you're dealing with that. Yep. and That's probably what drove the need for that change. Yep. Oh, right? yeah.
1: Yeah. And, well, the other thing is you had to have that... It, it, to, to get your car tagged, you had to have your property taxes paid. Well, they're paid at a different time, so you had to, I mean, it, it, it was administrative mess, really, and it was hard for people, to, you know, so it'd be a whole lot easier you just do it once. Mm-hmm. but. Well, it's interesting when you when you work in the courthouse, when you work like the county clerk or treasurer's office, everything you do is set by is by state statute. Yeah. So I gave that example, but really everything we do, and sometimes they would make weird changes to the law, but make no sense to the, in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I got my interest somewhat in the legislature was because we were reading I, you know reading statutes all the time because that's that that dictated what we did. So a couple years later, in '86, my. Uh, Legis- the legislative representative my district, a guy named Homer Jarko, who's also the tax guy. That's how he was known up there uh-huh. So it's kind of interesting that yeah. it carries over. It carries yeah. over. Carries over. So and that's one reason that he recruited me too. He came to me and asked me, and because he knew my reputation in the courthouse and about taxes and stuff. And um, so he he asked me to run, and, and so I did. And my motivation again was, oh, man, yes, I need to, we need people up here to understand some of the, the about taxes. Uh, yeah. So um, so that's what first got me there, and. Uh, uh, got, it run for, I won in 86, uh, and, and now, now I, serve, I first got elected in 86, so I've served under eight different governors. That was my, Mike Caden had just got elected in the 86 elections. Okay. I, I knew John, I mean, I worked on Carlin's campaigns, but he was gone, he he left, Hayden came in when I came in, so I okay. didn't actually serve under Carlin. Um, so I came in under Mike Caden, um, served four years. He was governor. And then John Finney got elected governor in 90. And the other thing that happened in 90 is Democrats took the majority, which is very rare in Kansas.
0: Yeah, which is one of, like, only two or three times in the history of the state that that's happened, right? right. Three times. Three it times. It happened in 1912 and 13, that, that mm-hmm. session. And then the
1: 76-77 the session. And then the 91-92 session. Okay. After the, and the, those it, are the only three times that's in the only history three times.
0: of Kansas. 163-year 100, history. Right. Yeah. But you, you were... You were part of you. You were here when the Democrats were in the majority. Yes, right. I was part of that uh, the ninety elections, uh, worked, and I worked pretty hard on
1: helping people get elected um, in in those races. And so we took the majority. It was a 63-62 majority, so it wasn't a big majority, but but it was a you know. Very, yeah. It was, majority. <laughs> it was a small as I could get, but we had a majority. Um, so I did. I, what's interesting is um, I got elected majority leader, and I was. Um, God, I was, how old was I? 33. Well oh, I wow. Majority. So I was young. Majority. I, mean, I didn't realize at the time, you know, when I look back now, 33? God, that was dumb. I, <laughs> no, I don't. But, wow. You know, um, so I left majority, got to serve under Finney as majority leader for two years. And then uh, two years later, we lost the majority. It was 59, 60. It's still close. 59 yeah. Democrats, 66 Republicans. But we, we lost the majority. And... Uh, Fanning was still governor for two more years, so then I served as minority. I went from majority leader to minority leader, okay, and um, served as minority for Democrat governor for two years, and then the next four years, Bill Graves gets elected governor in '94, so he was the next my third governor I served under, and I was minority leader for for his first four year term, and we actually got along really well, and, and, and part of it was what also happened '94 is they elected a lot of more conservative Republicans, mm-hmm. and. That was pretty new for Kansas at that time. I mean they, there were a lot of them. You know, there have been a few, but all of a sudden now they they had a majority of the Republican caucus for the first time. And Governor Graves was a lot more moderate. Yeah. So it, part of it was probably out of necessity, but we had a great working relationship. I mean, we literally talked to each other every day and but he needed our help to pass his budgets. I mean, we worked on a lot of stuff. With, I mean you know, so it's still so even though I was a minority leader for four years, I kinda of felt like still being majority leader because, you know, we were
0: there had to be a lot of coordination between uh, his, you know, the the moderate Republican caucus and right. the Democratic caucus to get anything done, right? right? Exactly, exactly.
1: So we worked together, the, the two caucuses, and did a lot of stuff. And, and I said, passed his budgets, and he included. It's kind of interesting. We've been pushing for years. Cause Kansas didn't have a earned income tax credit at the state level. There was a federal one, but we didn't have one. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of our big issues. And he put he put it in a state of the state in '97. I mean, it was. In his address, he just you know he, he do the um, earned
0: income income tax, income tax credit. credit, yeah,
1: and uh, and it, it still wasn't easy to get it passed because lot moderate, moderate opposed didn't really want it, but it's like they want it, we're going to do it, so, yeah, you know, it was a pretty good deal. Um, that was pretty neat, but, um, so so that happens. Well, then in '98, yeah, I'm the minority leader, and the Democrats, Bill Graves is up for re-election, mm-hmm. and. Fred Phelps files for governor. So, Fred Phelps is, and he files as a Democrat. So, he is the only Democratic person on the Democratic side that filed for governor. Running for governor. governor, for governor.
0: And, and, and if anybody doesn't know who Fred Phelps is, he's um, uh, the leader of Westboro Baptist Church, which has uh, made its name going around the country protesting funerals and uh, just toxic language. Uh, yeah. and it's very just hateful. Very hateful. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, He's not grown in popularity. Well, it, the, the whole thing hasn't grown in popularity over the years. Right. But at the time, you're a minority leader, and he—he's the only candidate at the time right. who's filed to run for governor. Right. And, and the idea is—I mean, Graves was very popular, right? Right, and he was—he was, was going to be re-elected. Very, uh, very, very heavy lift to beat him, and right. probably quite unlikely, right? Right. right. Yeah.
1: Although he had a primary. Now, that's the funny thing about Graves is. A guy named David Miller, who was state Republican chair at the time, actually ran against him in the primary because the conservatives, you know, Graves was not conservative enough for him. So there was a chance he could have got lost in the primary. That would have changed everything. But, but, but he won his primary. But but from our standpoint, not only had Fred Phelps signed, filed for governor, his son, Fred Phelps Jr., had filed for attorney general. And, like, Carlos Stovall, if I remember right, was the Republican incumbent for Attorney General. Again, a popular person. But but the Democrats, it's possible that our top of our ticket was going to be both Fred Phelps and Fred Phelps Jr. So we're like, that can't happen. We've got to have candidates. And we were working hard to get somebody to run. And at the time, there were 10 senators in the Kansas Senate. And I figured one of them would run because It was midterm for them. So they could run for governor. Lose and and still 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 be their seat. Their seat in the Senate. So I thought eventually, Anthony Hensley was Senate Minority. And he did look at it pretty hard, but he ended up deciding not to do it. But I thought one of the other senators might. Um, But then the filing deadline's Monday. We're Friday. We're on this conference call, and there's still none of them coming forward. Saturday comes, none of them are coming forward. So Sunday. You know, the filing deadline's Monday at noon, right? Uh Sunday, we're on there. I'm like, look, if none of you guys are going to do it, I'm going to do it. We cannot have Fred Phelps be our candidate. I'm just, you know. And I thought, well, maybe, okay, one of them will come forward because I got to sacrifice to see, right? No, none of them did. So the next day, uh, I filed, and my lieutenant governor candidate was actually Elizabeth Baker, who I'd worked with when I was majority. One of the things about having a 63-62 majority, to get things passed, you really had to work with a number of Republicans. Yeah, I mean, you had to, because you have no cushion. And And there's no,
0: there's no overwhelming, you know, the body right. with, you, with your numbers, kind right. of like what we see right. sometimes today. In fact,
1: some, lots of times someone's gone. You don't even have a majority some days. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? So, uh, that, So in I, one of those Republicans I worked with that helped us a lot was Elizabeth Baker. She was a Republican from Derby, very moderate, and there were several others. Mark Parkinson was actually one of them. He was a Republican state rep at the time who Later became governor, but at that time was Republican State Rep. he was one of those that, that was very helpful. But but there were several. But anyway, but she was one that was so when I decided to run for governor, call her. She switches parties and runs as my running mate. Um, to help you out. To help you out. Yeah. yeah. And she of course didn't want Phelps. I mean she you know, it was so so we the next day, there we are, run for governor. And uh, of course we won the prime and we've got Dan Likens who had been who, who long activist in the Democratic Party, was party, state party treasurer at the time, for the KDP, and uh, he filed for attorney general, and so he ran for attorney general against Fred Phelps Jr., I ran against Fred Phelps Sr. for governor, and we kept the Phelps, you know, we won the, our primary the primaries and kept them kept off them the ticket. Off, the ticket, so kind of helped the party that way. But then, of course, then I was out of the legislature, so yeah. I'd served 12 years. and You had to give up your seat to do that. I had to give my seat to do that, so I was out. Um, uh, but the guy, the guy who'd been our state party chair was Dan Langley, and he'd been state party chair six years, and he was ready to step down. So I decided to run for state party chair. So I served as state party chair then for four years, um, between the ninety-eight two thousand two. Well, in two thousand two, the woman who took my place in the Kansas House uh, got a woman named Melanie Barnes. Her job. Situation changed where she calls me and says, "I can't do this anymore." Mm-hmm. So she's like, "Would you run again for the house?" So I'm kind of like, you know, "I've been out, you know." It's but okay, yeah. So I end up running for the house again in 2002, get elected again, and uh, that time I served seven years. But when I come back in 2002, that's when Kathleen Sebelius gets elected governor. It's the same election. Okay. She gets, she wins a governor's race. I get elected back to the house. So so now, Kathleen Sebelius is the fourth governor, right? It was. Uh, Hayden, Finney, Graves, yeah, Sebelius, the fourth governor. Okay. And so we go into to the, she goes, she comes governor, I go back to the legislature. Well, then, of course, she doesn't serve out her term, Mark Parkinson, who, of course, oh, the other thing about Mark Parkinson, I, I, not only did I work with him when he was a Republican state legislator, he helped me a lot when I was majority leader. Well, the four years I was state party chair of the Democratic Party, he was state party chair of the Republican Party. Oh, wow. Yeah, so and we had developed a pretty good relationship. Yeah, we'd already known each other from the legislature. But then, it's kind of interesting. So, this so gets elected governor, and four years into her term, she gets Mark Parkinson to switch parties. I mean, he's always a very modern guy, mm-hmm. and becomes her re- lieutenant governor um, for her second term. For her second term. And then, of course, she steps down, so he becomes governor. And, of course, we always have this great relationship. So, one day, he calls me and says, uh, he told tell me, how would you like to be on the parole board? And... My first initial reaction was, I don't know. You know, I just didn't really. He, goes, well, think, t- he told me what I to think about it. And the more I looked into it, I thought, you know, well, that would be a, a, a nice change. Yeah. A, a chance to do something different. And I was very involved in 93 when I was majority leader of, uh, or 92, of uh, passing the um, uh, sentencing commission and sentencing guidelines. Uh-huh. So I thought, you know, this would be interesting. It kind of tied a lot of, the, what I did back then um, so I left the legislature again went on the parole board um, so but Park, Parkinson then was my fifth governor I okay. So well, Parkinson puts me on the parole board um, and that was in 2009 well in 2010 Brownback gets elected governor Sam Brownback and Sam Brownback um, decides of course he, they do this kind of per state government they, they went out of their way to try to get rid just find Democrats and, and just those, get, rid, get, of get rid of them. And on the parole board, there were three of us, but we had terms. Well, he didn't want to wait until our terms were up to make changes. So they got a bill to just do away with the parole board and essentially just renamed it to the Prisoner Review Board. Okay. But then just redid the, you know, you had and three new people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so he got us off pretty fast. Um, so, so then I was, I went back to the, Practicing county a little bit. Not long. It's like 2011. That's out of the pro board. Well, 2012 comes and uh, the woman who had taken my place in the legislature lost in the 2010 election. So, the, my house seat is being held by a Republican. And we had actually recruited a candidate to run against to, in 2012. Well, in two, that year they could not come to agreement on uh, reapportionment maps. Uh-huh. So, the courts drew the maps at the at the last minute. Well, when they did, the candidate we had in the 95th House District got drawn out. So now all of a sudden, this is the Friday before. The final deadline's Monday. This is the Friday before they had no candidate in the 95th District. So, so there's a Republican incumbent. They won in 2010. My old House seat might get reelected by default. Yeah, because there's nobody to there's run. There's nobody to run. The person got drawn out. Got drawn out. So, but I was in the process of painting my house. And what's really funny, just... Like a, the weekend before, I was trying to decide whether to throw away all my old yard signs uh, because what I was—I had not bought yard signs the last '96 is the last time I felt like still. I haven't bought yard signs since '96. I just reuse them, uh-huh. right? So but I had all my old yard signs, and I'd had them down uh, in the in the garage, but they took up quite a bit of space. So I was trying to say, well, should I just get rid of them? I mean, I'm probably gonna run for legislature again, right? I've been through two stints, 19 years total. I mean, I'm not gonna do this again. Well. That there was something that said, no, maybe I shouldn't. And, and, and at that point, the house map that the house drew actually drew me out of that district. I was oh. in a different district. So it was like, I'm probably not going to. No. Well, so, but then there was something told me, no, nah, you never say never, you never know. So instead of throwing them away, I put them up in the attic. Then I'll just get them get out of space the way. in the garage, out of yeah. the way, right? Well, so then, you know, a couple weeks later, the judges draw the maps, and all of a sudden, I'm back in the district, and the candidate that was supposed to run is out of the district. And I'm on a ladder painting, and my phone keeps ringing. It's all these people trying to recruit me to run. <laughs> and I'm busy painting, so I was really, I was ignoring the phone calls. Uh-huh. Well, then they start coming over. And one on the that came by, this car comes by, and there's this little... He seemed like a little pipsqueak. Uh-huh. And we're good friends. So I like Brandon. I love Brandon. Wibley. He's mayor of Wichita now. But I had not known Brandon yet. He, he was state, he was county party chair at that time. But, you know, he came in to politics in Central County kind of when I was on the pro board. And when you're on the pro board, it's non of you know, you kind of get out of the politics for a little bit. So, yeah. So, so I didn't know him. And he's, you know, he's young and stuff and like, you know. but you know, a lot of people I did know started coming over and all this stuff and, and, uh. So I, found, I, I actually, what I said was, if you don't find anybody else, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Well, they quit looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> they got other things they got to do. So yeah, they found their candidate. <laughs> but, but anyway, so that's how I got back again. 2012, ran again. And I, so I at that time, though, I had to run against incumbent, which was a new experience. I had not run against, you know, the incumbent. I'd was I bid the incumbent or it was open seat. Yeah. Uh, so what was interesting about that race was the difference you know, I, and what's interesting, this guy I was running against had actually run against me in 2006 and 2008 when I was the incumbent. And in 2006, I got 62% of the vote. In 2008, I got 66% of the vote against him. So I beaten him pretty bad both times, right? Well, then when I'm trying to uh, run this race and get support, I'm finding of these groups are like, well, I think we're just going to support the income, but, you know, we're not going to. And I'm kind of like, Really? I beat this guy. I got 66% of the vote against this guy last time. You really think he's going to beat me this time? Yeah. I mean, you know, our, our voters are going to change that much. I know he's incumbent now, but, you know. Yeah. So so that was an eye-opening. But, you know, it was a lot To harder. see the change in that. To see, when, that change. see the change. See that dynamic of yeah. people change that support. Yeah. So I did, you know, some of the groups that did support me, I kind of knew no. loyalty there. That was, you know, hey, these people are sticking with me. But, um so that was an interesting dynamic. But anyway, I won at 58%. Not as much as I had before, but, you know, uh, he was incumbent. He shaved some off. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But so I, that's how I got back. And so I came back, and I've been this. End. But anyway, at that point when I came back, Brownback was governor. So now Brownback. He's your sixth was, governor. Sixth governor. Yeah. Yep, my sixth governor. Well, of course, then Brownback resigns early. Collier takes over. He becomes my seventh governor. Okay. And then now
0: Laura Kelly is my eighth governor. So, yeah, okay. I served
1: under eight governors, yeah. But that's how we get to today.
0: I remember we just had, well, today, the day that we're recording this, we just had the state of the judiciary, and tonight we'll have the state of the state. And I remember that year that that Brownback left and Collier came in because we had two state of the states that year. Yeah, right. We had Brownback gave his, and then it was a week or so later. And Collier gave his. Collier gave his after Brownback was called up to be an ambassador. Um, Yeah, so one is enough, I think. First day of the state yeah, address, don't is. you? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, that was an interesting year, having I mean, two. Yeah. So, in in that time, um, well, talk a little bit about. You've seen a lot of changes in politics mm-hmm. over the years. Can you right. talk a little bit about that? Kind of like, I don't know, just the differences that you've seen in the in the way this body works, uh, from what, like when you first got uh-huh. in to, to what it is today.
1: Yeah, when I first came in, right. So there were no computers. Our, our um, office assistants used Selectric typewriters. There was a ton of paper. You would not believe the paper we had back then. You know, I mean, everything was paper, so we got so much to read all the time. It was like impossible for a person to read all the stuff we would get. You know, all the people giving us information about bills. The bill. I mean, it was just because everything was paper, uh, typed up. So that's that's a big difference. And it was real easy if you didn't stay on top of it. All of a sudden, your desk was just, just stack up, stacked up, just piled high. You know several feet high of paper because <laughs> so you had to stay on top of stuff um so, so, so that was a huge difference communication my gosh huge difference. you know back then again your constituents they wrote you letters yeah i want to know something or they fall you'd get phone calls so yeah so your office assistants and we didn't have cell phones so it was landlines so your office assistants would be answering land, the landline. Or letters. And a lot of them were letters because you have long-distance calls. And mm-hmm. People didn't want to make long-distance phone calls. And they, and they charged. Right. It was yeah. an extra fee. An extra fee yeah. for long-distance. So, you know, you, you kept the, the calls down, too. And, you know, I'm at home. Maybe might call when I go home on weekends or something, give me a local call. But, you know, during the week, you know, people, people didn't want to help me in their opinion that bad. You know, <laughs> lots of times. They just write a letter. So, that, you know, you think about that today. We don't get... How many letters do you get? Not that many. Not many. No. Yeah. A lot of emails... Right. See, that's we didn't, but see, we didn't have emails. We didn't have computers, didn't have emails, didn't have cell phones. So it was a very, very different world in that way. And because of that, everything was much slower in reaction time. I and mean, that's the thing I've noticed so different in debates and stuff. Like, you debate a major issue back then. Well, you know, it might be in the paper the next day or the news the next day. But it took a while to get feedback. You didn't really hear from the public immediately. It was, you know, you, you might eventually hear, but... And now, know, there's a gap where now, in the middle of the debate, I'll say something on the floor, and somebody will text me as a response to what I said because you know, it's been tweeted out. It's been tweeted out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so immediate now. It's so different. You you get immediate feedback, which is like the biggest, you know, the biggest changes It's it, it really different.
0: Um, Do you think that's helpful or harmful? You know, most of the time I think it's helpful. I think it's
1: helpful in terms of to the public kind of being able to follow on what
0: we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so much easier for them now with the Internet. and you know, Yeah, because they can watch the proceedings on YouTube and, right. and committees on audio. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas back then they had
1: to rely on the media, and then you only got a snippet of what happened, whatever the newspaper summary was or you know, yeah. the brief. So so from that standpoint, it really is good. Now, some of it's kind of negative, too, in that it does kind of... Um, the immediate feedback sometimes could be Stifling, I think, or you know, um, uh, so I so I think it kind of changes the way we operate in a lot of ways. Um, it I think it makes things more polarized because mm-hmm. um, you know, whereas people could be more statesmen back in the day, get a you didn't have that immediate feedback from the both sides You know, the the extremes now are, you can hear a lot from immediately, and I think that can push people. You don't know, get a chance to kind of work together like you did in the old days. So I think yeah. there's good and bad with what what. Well, the changes we've seen
0: yeah because on one side there's better access for the public right. but on the other side it, it kind of lends for that it lends itself to that emotional immediate reaction right uh, where people haven't taken the time to think and they can just react to something and that's not always productive if you're trying to hash out a very difficult issue right
1: it makes it harder to, to do the compromise like we used to do yeah. I think I think that's one reason when people ask about you know we seem to have less compromising things are more hard but I think that's part of it I mean you hear immediately from your from your constituents, both sides, and it hardens people up. It gets harder to to kind of work out that in the middle.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You've talked about that before. About you know, you've shared stories with yeah. me before about kind of the, the the way bills have been compromised. The way people would sit down, even if they come with you know different viewpoints, right. but you could have that conversation about. And you've seen some good policy over the years come out of that. Can can you think of an example or two that really stands out in your mind? Well, there are several. I mean, even if you go back to school finance back in 91
1: and 92 when we rewrote the school finance bill, that was a bipartisan bill. I mean, um, we had, well, uh, had to be because, one, we had the majority at 6362, and it's not, you know, we needed Republican support. We couldn't get. And uh, so we had to work with Republicans, and you got a product that had some of what both sides want. Um, uh, work Comp Reform in 94, I think it was, When we, we you know, I mean, the the Republicans kind of, you always said they wanted it to, to where workers didn't get anything if they got injured. You know, there was always this tight, you know, we wanted, wanted it easier for workers to collect and get more when they got injured on the job. And, you know, we compromised through all that. So, I mean, and that, one was a, that, that was a big one. It took a long time because there was a lot of push. It was kind of, you know, that was a very high-pressured. Uh, the chamber on one side had their big bill. Governor Finney had vetoed it. Um, so we're trying to work out a compromise. The chamber's putting real pressure on people to try to change, to override the governor. But we all sat down, and we, we came to middle ground on, on a lot of things. And uh, that the good part about that bill is that it was a true compromise, and— businesses immediately, because businesses were upset that their work comp rates were going up so much every year. Mm-hmm. So that stopped that, that quit happening. Um, but we got a few things on the worker side too. And we got the, and the good part of that compromise is we set up this uh, committee that kind of oversaw it. And that actually worked, that was in 93 or four and that stayed in place until very recently. It's, it's kind of under Brownback, kind of, there were some changes that are kind of Undone, undone some of that, but for many years that that compromise held, and, and, and uh, we're just like the school finances. It's the basic school finance formula is the same as what we passed uh, in that '92 session. Mm-hmm. So I mean, some of this good this compromise has been has had a good long term effect for Kansas.
0: Yeah, it's a it, when you do that, you there's less need. It seems to come back and make drastic changes right. to something because it's been you've considered all the different viewpoints and right. you've thought about all the implications of that policy. Yeah. And you make sure when you get it done that it that you've thought about those ahead of time and then you don't have to come back in a couple right. of years and make these huge changes. Yeah, yeah. So another thing I, w- I wanted to ask you about, um, talking about some of the changes that you've seen over, over the years, um, is a little bit about how kind of relationships have changed and how people... I guess the dynamics and the interpersonal dynamics in the building. I mean, the time I've been here, I've heard a lot of stories about the way things used to be versus the way they are yeah. now. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I first first came up here, um, you know, we had our debates on the floor, but then we were all friends. It was like a I always said it was kind of like a fraternity or something. You know, we we're, we're all legislators and we had our different opinions, but you know, we we had our debate and then we were friends afterwards. Um, and over the years, that has changed a lot. It seems like you've got, you know, it, well, it, it, it gets hard even for Republicans to go to dinner with Democrats. They'll mm-hmm. get ostracized from other members of their Congress or whatever. Um, and that's been, that's been a change. And, and part of that, I think, is due to the, well, part of it is the polarization. You know, I think, my I came up here, we didn't have very many far-right conservatives. So you had what we'd call today moderate Republicans, and so, some of the Republicans we called conservative back then would be moderate today. Yeah, I mean, we just didn't have—so so I think that's part of it. There's more polarization. But I think part of why there's more polarization, though, is, again, a lot of it—the downside of the technology of today is it has caused the extremes on both sides are the ones we hear more about. We hear immediately they're more involved— and I think it, it shades our our politics more. And and the fact that we, since we hear immediately, you know, like I said, in the old days, you didn't hear from the public. They wrote us letters, so it took a while to get feedback. Yeah. And so it gave us the time to sit down and work things out and compromise. Now it's harder to do that. They're hearing, people are hearing from their side right away, right away, yeah. and basically say, oh, I can't do that. I can't move, you know, it's, you know. so. That's the downside of that. And I think that's caused, whereas today it's much, we don't have as much of that um, camaraderie that we used to have. I mean, there's still some. I mean, we still you know, we still have our friends across the aisle and stuff, but it's not like it was in the old days where you had a lot more of that. And, and, and people just, people kind of realize we disagree about things, but we still care about Kansas. We have different ways of solving problems, but we still want to solve problems. Nowadays, it's almost like you're the enemy and, you know, you're, you know, I think some Republicans think I'm, you know, the devil or something. So.
0: Well, yeah, now it, I always use the analogy that um, if, you, if you're doing this kind of work and you're solving problems and you're dealing with big policy decisions, um, politics might always be a card in the deck, but it should not be the top card. Yeah. And it yeah. feels like uh, anymore a lot of times we're uh, looking at these through the, the lens of politics first and then filtering down and it feels like some sense of uh, humanity or... Shared experiences being lost in that. You think that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. So, you talk about some of your early years and how you know you were a student at Wichita State and you're getting involved in politics. Uh, t- tell me now, if if there's somebody who's young who's uh, concerned about the future or interested in policy, interested in politics, wants to make a difference in their community, um, what like what would you tell that person first off why it's important to to be involved and how to be involved and and i guess just kind of your general sense of what uh, somebody who wants to get involved wherever they are in life uh, what they should what they should do why they should do it and why it's important
1: okay yeah, that's all that's all
0: no I, I think it's important
1: if people you know if you don't get involved you're letting you're letting other people make the decisions i mean things are going to happen uh, you know, your city council meets, they're going to make decisions, your, your state legislature meets, they're going to make decisions, county commission, and things will happen if you don't get involved, other people get to make those decisions. They get to decide what happens. So I, I tell people it's real important if you want you to want say in your government, um, you need to be involved. And you know, the thing about the United States is pretty cool is that we have several levels of government and they're all based on the voters. I mean, we are mm-hmm. the ultimate authority and, you know, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't get involved. I mean, a lot of people don't even vote. I mean, that's the first thing. Make sure yeah. you always vote. But it's like, I'm always amazed all the time that people give up, you know, that right, that, that franchise they have and let other people decide, make the decisions. And uh, and you see it a lot in how much power that wealthy people have. For, I mean, the top 1%, because mm-hmm. they're all involved. Heavily talking, involved. Heavily involved. Yeah. You know, they're they're giving money to campaigns. They're involved in every aspect. Well, I mean, every, every bit of it. So when you, you know, you have a lot of people the other end that are getting screwed all the time. And it's like, but a lot of it is they're not involved. A lot of them, you know, a lot of them don't vote. And if they do vote, that may be all they do. I mean, it's like, so I think it's real important that you get involved. You, you pay attention to what's happening at your city council. You just pay attention to what's happening at the county commission. You pay attention to the state legislature. You get involved in campaigns you know, get involved in local parties. Because uh, if you don't get involved, somebody else is. And they're the ones able to make those decisions and, and, and influence things.
0: Yeah, that's the thing I always tell people, that you, you can choose not to care, but the, then somebody else who cares a whole lot about their perspective, probably right. different than yours, is going to be involved, and they're going to make sure things go their way. Right. If you want to make sure your perspective is taken care of, then you got to get involved. Yeah. That's yeah. the best way. Yeah. And so good ways to do that are, like you said, like help campaigns, yeah. uh, donate to campaigns yep. if you yep. can. Um, but like we said, you know, people time. that I mean, don't have don't, a lot of means can't do that. But, well, they, they can't donate with money, but
1: they donate with time. Time's yeah. important in campaigns. Oh, you absolutely. Need, so, I mean, you donate one way or another. Yeah.
0: And then the, the last question I want to ask you is uh, you've done this for a long time. You've seen all these changes. <laughs> so what's kept you coming back? What's kept you doing this work for so many years?
1: Well, it you know... It's, it's affecting change. You know, one of the things, there's been a lot of really good things that have happened during my time in the legislature. I mentioned school finance was mm-hmm. one, was, a, was a really big one back in 91, 92. But more recently, like in 2017, you know, a lot of my motivation, I, you know, I talked about being on the ladder, painting my house in 2012 when they recruited me. But they were able to recruit me really because I was really upset with what had happened in the 2012 session when Brownback was governor the, the whole tax experiment mm-hmm. I knew they were blowing a hole in our budget they were giving wealthy people big tax breaks and they were actually raising taxes on, um, people on poor people because yeah. they, raised,
0: they raised the sales tax twice in response right. to that right? they
1: raised sales tax twice they got <clears> rid of the old we had a refundable food sales tax rebate that at least helped poor people get back some of the money they paid on sales tax they got rid of that to help pay for um, the Brownback tax experiment mm-hmm. homes. Uh, people that rented, that were like senior citizens, or if you're disabled or blind or poor, you could get back 15% of your rent um, for the homestead refund. Mm-hmm. We, we, we took that away. Renters couldn't qualify anymore for it. I mean, so there are, some of the poorest people who needed help the most got their, all of a sudden, they were the ones hurt by Brownback. You yeah. know, we, we, we said, all right, if you're a wealthy business owner, you could you pay zero income tax in Kansas. and the And the few pay-fors they had all came from poor people. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really backwards and it really upset me. And plus it was going to blow a hole in the budget. It's not sustainable. You know, they didn't didn't do it when there was a large imbalance, you know. Yeah, so so I had that motivation. I said, i got to run to undo this. So that was my motivation to run. And, and, you know, in the 2013-2014 session worked to do that, but we didn't have 28 Democrats. There there were some moderate Republicans, not a lot. But it was the beginning. We were making some strides, and by 2016, everything flipped. We yeah. had the votes, and it was pretty amazing in 2017, because not only did we undo Brownback, but Brownback was still governor. Yeah. So we had to override his veto. So that was pretty amazing up here to get you know over 84 votes in the House and 27, which means you had a lot of Republicans voting with you mm-hmm. to undo the Brownback tax experiment. And that was big. It has helped the state a lot. We've got we've been able to fund our schools again, been able to get our roads funded again. We we have got our budget back together. We're we're not taking money from Capers, in fact, we're putting money back into mm-hmm. it. And we're to the point now, the budget's built back enough, we can actually cut taxes that will help real people, like eliminating the food sales tax. Yeah. So, so that was a yeah. huge thing we did in twenty seventeen. And that's what keeps motivating me, me is these things that we do This you know, we, we make these strides and help people and that, that keeps me going. Yeah. Well, I
0: can totally see that. So, well, thanks for all your years of service and thanks for coming on and visiting with me a little bit today. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. I'd like to thank a few of the people who've helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son, Mitchell Probst wrote and recorded the music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art. And Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast in Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast, reach out to them at podcasts at saltcitysound.net. If you enjoy that podcast in Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyanhutch.substack.com or by emailing me at thatguyanhutch@gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Assault City Sound Production